you would please open your Bibles to Genesis, the end of chapter 22 and then chapter 23. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 20, and reading through chapter 23, this is God's word. Sometime later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz, the firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kmuel, the father of Aram, Kased, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlap, and Bethul. Bethul became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also had sons, Teba, Geam, Tehash, and Makah. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people and He replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city, No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the border of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Well, this is just one of those passages we can skip over, right? 
No, all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for us in many ways. So what do we learn from this? Well, I mean, you know, some, of, some parts of it are more significant than others. Um, Nahor's sons, not something most of us want to write home about. Um, um, I, I do appreciate, always have, the fact that um, he had a relative named Milka. Um, Milka actually uh, was the name of one of the first cows that we got here. And it was precisely because of Abraham's relative. We also named a couple of the uh, young males, uh, Uz and Buzz, because those were biblical names also. I bet you didn't know that Buzz is a Bible name, but it is. But it's better for cattle than for fellas. So just my opinion. In any case, you've got a list of names here of people who each had their own life, and to them, the rest of the world was viewed in terms of its relationship to them. We look back on this, and we're like, who are these people, and why would we care? Well, one of the reasons I appreciate all these folks being in there, some of whom, the father of the Arameans, uh, will have more significance than some of the others who just kind of drop off the, the storyline. But it's good for us to remember in our lives, that individual people matter. They matter to God. You matter to God. Please know that. So I don't think I'm likely to ever be famous. Well, most people will never be famous, but that doesn't mean their lives don't matter. A friend of mine who had a PhD from Princeton Seminary said something that I thought was wonderful years ago. I was a teenager. He was uh, the father of one of my best friends. And he said, realize that it may be the most significant thing your life accomplishes is to be the grandfather of someone else. I'd never thought about that. See, I'm thinking, you know, what what will happen in my life? Well, maybe what will happen is you marry and you have a child and they're not famous either. But there's a grandchild who actually does something of great significance that impacts many lives. And that grandchild wouldn't be there if it weren't for your child and the person that they marry. And they wouldn't be there if you hadn't had them. In the grand scheme of things, we don't know what God has planned. If you and I had looked at the life of Moses, when he was 45, we would have said he was washed up. Because, I mean, you know, he got that fabulous education, but then what happened? He lost it all because of a rash, violent act, killing that Egyptian. And so five years later, he's a fugitive, living out in the middle of nowhere, looking after his father-in-law's sheep. 
I would have said at 45, too bad, a wasted life. But, you know, I, I could be wrong. Let's check in again when he's 60. Did he ever get his act together? Did he at least get his own flock of sheep? No. 60 years old, he's still looking after his father-in-law's sheep in the middle of nowhere. Hasn't written any books. I mean, you know, there's just not anything going on. It would be unthinkable at age 78 that Moses is about to become one of the pivotal history characters in history. But he did. At age 80, God appeared to him in the burning bush and commissioned him for the work that God had been preparing him for all those years. You don't know what God's plan is for you. You don't know what God's plan is for the people around you. So treat everybody as significant because God cares about each person, even those who never become famous. Amen? So, chapter 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old, and she died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Was she away from Abraham on some sort of, you know, trip, a ladies' conference or something she was going to? Um, we, We don't know exactly what's going on here. The text doesn't say. There are questions that arise because it's said back in chapter 22 that after the incident with Isaac, Abraham returned to um, his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Beersheba is about 26 miles from Hebron. And in that situation, that's quite a distance. 26 miles in a straight line and you don't necessarily travel a straight line to get there. So they were they were separated at this point, apparently. Were they living separately or just temporarily separated? Don't know, doesn't say. But the bottom line is, Abraham, when he received word that she had died, went to where she was and wanted to bury her. And this whole chapter is going to be taken up with Abraham's purchase of a burial site for his wife. Why is that important? Why why does it matter? I had a preacher say to me on the way to a graveside service, I've never understood why we have a graveside service. He said, we've already had the funeral there in the church. What's the point of a graveside service? And I said, well, hopefully when I preach the graveside service, you'll understand the reason for it. And I preached from 1 Corinthians 15. 
1 Corinthians 15 reminds us of the gospel, which is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. And then Paul spends the rest of the chapter talking about how essential the doctrine of the resurrection is. Not just that Jesus has risen from the dead, that is the game changer, that's the thing that guarantees our hope of the resurrection, but the fact is Jesus isn't the only one who's going to rise from the dead. We are going to come back. God's going to raise us up. There will be those who will be raised up to great blessing because they are in Christ Jesus, to an eternity with the Father and his home. And there will be those who will be raised up to judgment and eternal destruction. But in either case, this life is not all there is. And so the whole notion of burial is that we have confidence that this life is not all there is. When your body that you're living in currently stops working and you breathe your last, that's not the end. And burial, rightly understood, is an expression of our faith that there's more to come. The Apostle Paul compares it to planting a seed in the ground. When a seed is planted in the ground, you don't expect to just get back the seed that you planted. That would be a tragedy. If Pastor Pat went down next spring, tilled the soil, planted seed in the ground, and then the seed came back up. Just what he planted. That would be a complete crop failure. The seed has to undergo death, Jesus said, in order that life might come forth. But what comes out is so much better. Every year, I buy bulbs, well, just about every year, I buy bulbs at Costco. You ever seen a, I don't mean lamp bulbs, I mean the plant. Have you ever seen how pretty those bulbs are? They're not. The bulbs are these gnarly little shriveled up things that look dead. And we put them in the ground knowing that months later, something beautiful is going to emerge. Burial is our expression of confidence that that shriveled up body that is put into the ground is not the future. It's a seed. We're looking forward to what God, with his infinite power is going to do to take something that has brought us tears 
and bring forth something that will give great, great joy. So, Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites and said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. And the Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Abraham said, thanks, that's, that's really nice. I mean, I appreciate it. No. An important lesson is that sometimes when things are offered to you for free, you will pay an enormous price for accepting that gift. You understand? Every year at spring break, the banks give credit cards to irresponsible and often inebriated teens who are about to discover financial bondage. The United States government has encouraged loans in the name of education, higher education. And they've told young people, you don't just need money for tuition. You ought to have money for your living expenses. Not just rent, not just food. Don't you need a means of transportation? Don't you need a computer? Don't you need some magazine subscriptions? Don't you need some spending money? Aren't you going to want to have some entertainment? We'll loan it to you. Okay? Why would they do that? Because you have to pay it back with interest. And so they will gladly loan you more than you can repay. And then if the Democrats are in office and wanting to be sure they get reelected, they'll tell you you don't have to pay it back. Until a judge says, right about the time the election is over, eh, that's not constitutional, which they knew. It's like, well, okay, never mind, that application thing, forget it. But I hope you all voted. Let me just tell you something. There are a whole lot of people who will offer you free stuff that'll make you a slave. Drug dealers... Giveaway product to prospective addicts. It's not free once you're hooked. You need to know that you will be offered a lot of things in life that are supposedly free, but then you end up in debt to the one who supposedly was being generous. Abraham had lived long enough to know better. Do you remember when he had rescued the people of Sodom and Gomorrah before God wiped them out? And the king of Sodom said to him, hey man, just let us have the people, you can keep all the stuff. Abraham said, no way, I'm not going to take as much as a shoelace 
the thong of a sandal. I'm not going to take anything from you. Why? Why wouldn't he say, well, thanks, I did save everybody's life, so yeah, I'll take it. No. He would not allow himself to be enriched for a victory that the Lord had won. And so, here, when they say, we think of you as a prince among us, you go ahead and whatever tomb you want, any of our tombs, we'll be glad for you to use. Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to them, if you're willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, who was there. Intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf, so he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Why does he want to pay the full price? Because if he doesn't pay the full price, there's going to be a dispute down the road. I could tell you stories, but I'll come back to this. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. That's where business was transacted. That's where the men hung out. That's where arguments were settled and matters were resolved. He said, no, my Lord, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. He says, everybody hears me. There's not going to be a dispute over this. I give it to you. I'm giving it to you. And Abraham says, well, okay, everybody heard, right? Raise your hand if you heard. Okay, all right, I'll take it. No. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. And Ephron answered Abraham, listen to me, my Lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. Now, I know I'm old, but I was not alive back then. But the commentaries are in agreement that that was an outrageously high price for the land. Okay? I had a guy who wanted to buy my car. You know, I've got that 2014 RX 350. And I had a guy who wanted to buy it from me. And he said, just name your price. Just name your price. And uh, I, I didn't name a price for him. Okay? But he said he'd be willing to pay whatever I, I said. What do you suppose he would have said if I'd said, okay, 100 grand? You, know, you, said, you said whatever, you know, 100 grand. Let's do it. I had a person who called me on the phone this week wanting to buy something that I own. Just, you know, tell me, tell me what, you, what, what do you need for it? I, I don't need to sell it. So you wouldn't be interested? In it? No, no, not interested. Ephron responds to Abraham, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. 
He says, I, you, know, I, you know, it's worth this much, but you know, don't, don't worry about it. I just take it as a gift. Just, just bury your dead there. I'll let, you, I'll let you use the cave. Abraham could have said, do you remember Abraham dealing with God about the destruction of Sodom? <laughs> Would you take 375 shekels? Okay. Oh, yes, 25. Well, if you're willing to come down 25, what about 25 more? What about 350? You know, Abraham knew how to deal. But this was not a time to deal. This is a time to pay even an outrageously high price. Some things are worth more than money. Like integrity. And so he paid the high price that was being asked. And then he buried his wife there. When you and I think about death, you may say, Pastor Wood, you're always talking about death. I don't think about death except when I'm in chapel and you keep bringing it up. Well, you're in chapel and I'm bringing it up again. When you and I think about death, if we think soberly, it puts other things in perspective. Because all of a sudden you realize that so many things that people are passionate about are utterly insignificant. In my newsfeed this morning was the story of a very popular British broadcaster who's just been a young man, young wife, young kids, just been diagnosed with a terminal cancer, given very little time to live. He doesn't want to keep working because he said he wants to spend as much time as he can with his kids before he dies. All of a sudden, the career being famous, making money, uh, doesn't really mean anything. What means something is the people you love. Again, Abraham did not know as much as we do about the resurrection. He did not know how God would accomplish our redemption. God had given him a picture of it with Isaac, there on the mountain where Jesus would eventually die. But Abraham didn't understand all that. But God did. And Abraham was doing what God led him to do. You and I need to understand. Life and death are not something we can negotiate. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Every single one of us is going to have to face God. And in the light of that, everything else is relatively insignificant. It, it really doesn't matter. You say, well, Pastor Wood, you're saying that nothing else matters? I'm saying, comparatively speaking, the one thing that's going to last forever is your relationship with God. Everything else goes away. Health, fame, 
fortune, all goes away. If I were to ask you right now, who is John D. Rockefeller? Some of the adults would know. There's not any reason that the kids would know. And it's not like, well, you need, you need to know that. No, actually not. Okay? Now, Andrew Carnegie, on the other hand, no. Well, who is that? Do you know who Jeff Bezos is? Do you know who Elon Musk is? Do you know who Bill Gates is? What about Steve Jobs? My guess is that most of the young people don't know who Steve Jobs was. And the reason is, he's not around anymore. You know about Apple, the company he built. But Steve Jobs is gone. And with him, his fame. Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, that's who Andrew Carnegie, John D. Rockefeller, used to be. The big, fabulously rich titans who died like everybody. And now, only historians know who they were. I'm telling you, if you don't have hope in the resurrection, life becomes meaningless. But if you know that because of God's grace in Christ Jesus, I have a relationship with a heavenly father who loves me so much that he sent his son to save me. And Jesus conquered death for me so I don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. I can live each day with confidence in him, knowing that whatever comes, however much time I have left, long or short, God's in control. And he has a plan for me. And his plan is good. And I may become famous. Or I may be somebody's grandfather. But what matters is my relationship with God. That is the one thing that lasts. Don't squander your energies. Don't squander your affection on other things that do not last. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for sending Jesus to redeem us and to conquer death for us and to make it so that we don't have to be afraid. I thank you that you have proved your love. And I pray that you would help us to truly trust in you. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.